Good morning. Good morning. I just want to give you an update. Three weeks ago, I was in Birmingham and did an all-day seminar at the church in Birmingham, which was extremely well-received. They invited, they had advertised to the community. They had uh, over 100, 150 guests from the uh, community that came to the lectures and stayed throughout the day, and it was just really, really positively received. And then last week, I was in... uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida, and they had uh, 100 to 150 guests from around the community that came for an all-day Healing the Mind seminar, and it went really, really well, too. So we want to say hi to our friends in Birmingham and in Port St. Lucie who are going to be listening. So let's uh, begin class with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you'll send your Spirit to join us today, that our minds will be enlightened, that our hearts will be refreshed, and that uh, we will experience the joy of your love. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We're doing lesson number eight in our quarterly, Jesus Wept, the Bible and Human Emotions, and the lesson today is entitled Resilience. Resilience. Uh, when you hear the word resilience, what do you think? Titanium. Titanium. Bounce back, somebody said. Bounce back. Any other thoughts? Resilience. Resilience. The dictionary is uh, two definitions, one for inanimate objects, the, ca- the Capability of a strained body to recover its size and shape after deformation or deformation. And then uh, the second is the ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. To adjust easily to misfortune or change. And I thought maybe it would be helpful to uh, break down uh, in the beginning here to talk about um, physical and mental resilience, physical and mental resilience, and talk about factors that decrease our physical and mental resilience and factors that enhance our physical and mental resilience. So let's start with physical resilience. What decreases, what undermines, what diminishes our physical resilience? Any thoughts? Illness. Illness, okay. Poor eating habits. Okay, poor eating habits, poor dietary habits. Yeah, no question. No question about that. And let's be specific about the diet. Be specific about the diet. Lack of essential nutrients. As you all know, there used to be a a, a disorder that we don't really see much anymore. Sailors called scurvy, and scurvy was because they were out at sea and couldn't get vitamin C, and without vitamin C, the connective tissue would break down, they would lose their teeth, and they would become sick, and so uh, the British uh, realized that there was something essential they were missing out at sea, and so they would store limes on the, uh, on the ships, and they would, they would chew on the, on the dried limes, uh, which would give them the, uh, the vitamin C, and this, of course, where they nicknamed limeys came from uh, because they were getting the vitamin C from, from scurvy uh, to prevent the scurvy. So vitamin C, meat eating. Meat eating uh, across the board. If you eat meat, you increase your risk of cancers, metabolic disorders, and, and you increase inflammation across the board. Milk, cow's milk. Uh, there's an interesting study done in animals. Um, there is a, uh, there's a toxin that you can get in various grains and peanuts called aflatoxin. Aflatoxin uh, occurs naturally in, uh, in nature, but in high doses, it can cause um, liver necrosis and liver cancer. It is a, it is a can- car- carcinogen. And they took these animals, randomized them into two groups, gave them the same diet, but one group also had added to the diet casein protein. And casein protein is the protein that is in cow's milk. And uh, then they dosed all the animals in both groups with doses of aflatoxin, this, this carcinogen. All the animals who had the cow's milk in their diet got liver cancer. None of the animals who had the cow's milk in their diet got liver cancer, even though they had the same dose of this, this carcinogen. 
And the reason for that is they, um, the, the cow's milk, the, the protein in cow's milk, actually interferes with human DNA repair mechanisms. You know, as we go through life, we're experiencing exposures of various kinds and toxins of various kinds that damage our DNA. But we have repair mechanisms that, that God has given us that will repair and rewrite the DNA in its proper way. Uh, casein protein actually impair, impairs the human DNA repair mechanism and increases your vulnerability to... Uh, to cancer. So that would undermine your resilience. Does that make sense? If you get an insult and you can bounce back and repair your DNA, you've got resilience. If you've taken that away, you've undermined your resilience. So diet was mentioned. I just wanted to give some details on that. What other things besides diet uh, undermine our, our physical resilience? Your lack of exercise. Lack of exercise. Excellent. Yes, if we're deconditioned. And any healthcare providers besides uh, me in the room here today and Wendell? Okay, yeah. Uh, how many of you seen a person who's maybe gotten in an automobile accident and they come in with significant injuries and they're well-conditioned? They're at, they, they've worked out, they've, they've, they run five miles a day, this type of thing, versus somebody who comes in and they're deconditioned. They have no real, they, they've, been, they've been a couch potato. Do they recover in the same way? No, it's a huge difference. If you are conditioned physically and you maintain physical exercise, you actually have much greater resilience. You can bounce back better. If you're deconditioned, you don't. So deconditioning, absolutely. Which would be sedentary lifestyle, deconditioning, undermines your physical resilience. Other things? Sadly, age. Age, exactly right. Age, yes. Age undermines our resilience. And unfortunately, um, the alternative isn't very good either. Yeah. yeah. We can easily argue that that's uh, an effect of living in a sinful world, though. Because, yes. You know, look at, well, even look at uh, Caleb. He, he was 80 years old and, and still had the vigor of uh, a young man. So. Or Moses. Correct. Or Adam. Yeah. And where they live. So. so we're looking forward to a day when these weak bodies... I, I tell you that the, our bodies are so weak. Mm. We have so much genetic... Uh, Deformity, if we want to call it that. It's, it's going to be amazing. I think we're all going to be shocked at how beautiful we are when, when God makes us new. We're going to be shocked. It's going to be amazing. You know, I, when I look in the mirror, I'm always glad that this is not as good as God can do. You know? Like, thank you, Lord. You can do better than this, right? Yeah. It's true, though. It is true. It, it, when we see how it's going to be in the end, it's going to be phenomenal. Um, <clears throat> lack of sunshine. Or too much sunshine. Stress and depression. Okay. Uh, stress and depression. Absolutely. Mental stress undermines physical resilience. And there's no question about it. We'll go into some of the details how that works in a minute. Dehydration. If you're dehydrated, are you going to be as resilient to whatever, whatever hits you? Not at all. Not at all. Al- how about alcohol, tobacco, and drugs? Well, alcohol and tobacco and drugs enhance your resilience or undermine your resilience? No question. Undermines your resilience. How about sleep deprivation? Enhance resilience, undermine resilience. Physical. And we're talking, we're still in the physical aspect here. Your physical health resilience. Sleep deprivation alters immune response. You're more vulnerable to, to physical illness when you're, when you're sleep deprived. What about loss of hope? Loss of hope have a physical impact? Yeah. Do, do doctors want to do surgery on a patient who's convinced they're going to die in surgery? No, not at all. No, no, no way. You don't want to do it. They, in fact, the, the, I know surgeries have been canceled because the patient has said, I know I'm going to die. I'm convinced I'm going to die in surgery. Cancel the surgery because they'll die. Oftentimes they will. Grief also affects a person physically. Grief 
Okay, exactly. Excellent. Grief will, will, and that, and that goes along the lines of a general category of mental stress. Mental stress will impact us physically. What about believing lies? Certainly, a believing a lie wouldn't have a physical impact, would it? Does it depend on what the lie is? Yeah. Did Adam and Eve believe a lie? Did it have a physical impact? Yeah. Yes, exactly. What about if you believe your spouse is cheating and they're not, but you believe they are? You think your sleep will be affected? You think your appetite will be affected? You think you'll start having a higher heart rate, higher blood pressure? You think there'll be a physical price to pay for believing that lie? And they'll, and they'll, yeah, yeah. Isn't the, the base of a hypochondriac, though, always believing lies? I mean, they believe lies about themselves when they have physical illness, but there's no illness. Yeah, hypochondria. Yeah, the hypochondria is a little more complex than simply believing a lie, but yes, it's basically um, uh, psych- psychological stress being manifested in the physical body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what, we, we talked about things that can undermine our physical resilience. What kind of things promote physical resilience? Marriage. Marriage. Excellent. That's correct. We could have talked about social isolation undermining physical resilience, too. That's true as well. But so, m- marriage, I like that. Um, but, but. <laughs> she, she didn't say anything, did she? But do you know it's true for men, yeah. but not for women? No. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, men live longer if they're married, to, and in a healthy marriage, of course. An unhealthy marriage—I'll tell you—a healthy marriage can be a great blessing, in it, and we can see psychological and physical health benefits from a healthy marriage. No question about it. Unhealthy marriages, however, what do they do? Undermine Undermine your mental and physical health. And they're worse. So a marriage that's healthy can be the greatest blessing on earth. A marriage that's unhealthy can be the greatest cursing on earth. And it's much better to be single than to be in an unhealthy marriage. Isn't that true, guys? Yeah, it is true. Okay, so I like that one. What else promotes physical resilience? How about avoidance of alcohol, tobacco, and drugs? (laughs) Just avoiding the bad stuff. Does that help? Okay, anything else? Exercise. exercise. That's right. When we exercise, our body produces interleukin-10. Interleukin-10 is a powerful anti-inflammatory interleukin that suppresses inflammation. This is why in the scientific studies thus far, the best treatment of all treatments for fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia pain is exercise. It's better than every medicine that's available in the market for fibromyalgia because exercise produces interleukin-10, which suppresses the inflammatory interleukins. Exercise also produces endorphins and encephalins and lowers blood pressure, lowers heart rate, uh, lowers lowers inflammation across the board. So you're going to get better conditioning, better physical health. You're going to get better brain health if you exercise. So exercise is good. What else? Oh, altruism. This is good. Altruism, it's true. If you're, if you're altruistic, it has good physical health and mental health pro- properties to it. It results in lower heart rate, lower blood pressure. You live longer if you're an altruistic person. But it goes to motive. You can, you can help people because you want to help people, and you will get benefit. You can help people because you want votes. You want to, you want to be elected to an office. And so you're out there at the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving Day with the film crew. Because you're running for office. I mean, you can help people for, for selfish reasons and you don't get the benefits. So it depends on your motives for doing it. Yeah. Exercise is the same way. Exercise the same way. You're, if you do not enjoy your exercise, you do not reap the same positive benefits as if you did. Now, this is, this is very important. Do you want to expand on it or do you want me to? 
Go ahead. Okay, this is very important. This is true. Uh, when you exercise physically, this is, shows the power and the relation between the mind and the body. When you exercise physically, but in your mind, you're being tortured. This is agonizing. I hate this. This is miserable. I'm suffering. I'm oppressed. Okay, well, what neural circuits are you firing? You're firing the stress circuits. You're activating the entire inflammatory cascade, and that will actually undermine any benefit you're getting from the exercise. So the exercise you do needs to be an exercise you actually enjoy. And that even affects the cholesterol uh, balance that you typically get from positive exercise is, is negative. Yes. Yes. If you don't enjoy the exercise, you combine it with something that you do enjoy. For example, I learned French when I exercise because I don't like the exercise. <laughs> listen to something that you enjoy, music or... Nice. Absolutely. Yes. Do, uh, engaging an activity. This is why sometimes sports can be a nice way to do it because you're, you're really distracted. You're running up and down the basketball court for two hours and sweating, but you're really not even thinking. You're, you're playing a game. I mean, this is where, where something like that can be very, very beneficial. Yes. Uh, not to be personal, but what type of um, exercise regime do you like for yourself? For me, I, what I enjoy is running. A lot of people don't, but I've tried various exercises. I've tried swimming. I've tried rowing, um, but, and I don't really enjoy them. I enjoy, I enjoy running. So walking and running is what I enjoy. And then I like to do things like listen to lectures. Um, right now I'm learning German. Um, so, you know, ich bin Deutsch lernen. So, um, uh, so I, yeah, they're good. Uh, so I'm learning German. So I'm going to do that while I'm running and walking. So that's, that's what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, so thanks for asking. But everybody needs to find their own, what they, what they enjoy doing. Some people like dance aerobics. You know, I, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> no, that would be torture. Just take me out and shoot me. Okay, yes. Pardon? Yes. Running actually does. Those ellipticals don't burn as much as running because if, in the ellipticals, you actually get momentum from the elliptical that keeps you kind of going a little bit. And then they're, they're good exercise, but they don't burn as much as running. If you're old, it's better on your joint, the elliptical, yeah. You, see, it's all in balance, isn't it? Do what you enjoy, yeah, yeah. Does that count for housework, too? Does that count for housework, too, yeah. yeah. Yes, it does. Actually, there was a study of, of, of maids that worked in New York City um, hotels, those high-rise hotels in New York, and they asked them, um, how much do you exercise? And the maid said, well, we don't. We're too busy. We, we're, we're, you know, single parent homes. We work all the time. We, have, we don't have time to exercise. So they gave them all pedometers. Pedometers measure how far you walk each day and had them measure how far they walked. And at the end of like a week, they, they discovered that these maids were walking 10 to 12 miles a day. And once they discovered how much they were walking, they all started losing weight. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Power of the mind. I'm telling you, mind is powerful. So, it, you know, it's, it's important. So, okay, so um, I think things that give us resilience. Avoid animal products. You avoid animal products, you increase, decrease inflammation across the board. Your, your inflammatory response will be calmer. You'll be more, uh, more physically resilient if you do that. Um, hydration, stay hydrated. If you're dehydrated, you're going to be more vulnerable, so stay hydrated. Very easy. Um, nutrition. Now, vitamin D is a hot topic in the literature these days, and in fact, there's a lot of good science coming out with epidemiologic evidence showing that vitamin D in proper amounts lowers heart disease, blood pressure, reduces cancer, improves cognition, reduces inflammation. Um, and um, as you know, when vitamin D, it's not like other vitamins. It actually, once it's activated through the kidneys and liver, becomes like a, uh, a steroid in your body, which is uh, different than, than other uh, vitamins. So vitamin D is... Uh, 
is a vitamin that would be giving us resilience. Omega-3 fatty acids, supplementation. Your body can't make them. If you supplement with omega-3s, they actually become uh, building blocks of the, of the neuronal membranes of your neurons, and they're very powerful anti-inflammatory agents, and they scavenge up free radicals, giving you resilience. Uh, there's actually animal studies that show that uh, omega-3 supplementation prevents end-organ damage in diabetics. You know, diabetics, um, once they have diabetes, what happens inside the organ, inside the cells, they're little tiny organelles, uh, inside cells. One of those organelles is called a mitochondria. Mitochondria produce energy. In diabetics, those mitochondrial membranes become, um, um, become dis- dysfunctional and they start kicking out what are called free radical species like hydrogen peroxide. Actually, hydrogen peroxide is, is kicked out from the, from the, from the mitochondria. And this is damaging to the, to the cells. Well, omega-3 fatty acids scavenge up those, those, uh, free radical species that are being kicked out and protect the end organs, uh, like the retinas, the kidneys, the peripheral nerves from damage in diabetic patients. Um, several studies have, have shown that. Vitamin E from food sources like almonds are beneficial for the same reason, but vitamin E from supplements, not so beneficial. And the reason for that is in nature, vitamin E has eight isomers. Body needs all eight. The supplements give you usually one or two isomers and actually causes a vitamin E imbalance and, and body doesn't like that. But it also has free radical. The vitamin E being lipophilic or fat loving concentrates in the fat membranes of the neurons and also gives another layer of protection from these free radicals to your brain cells. And then vitamin C we talked about earlier with uh, the scurvy, but it also, vitamin C concentrates being water soluble in the the, uh, the fluid inside the cells and also has free radical scavenging properties and will we'll scavenge up these inflammatory factors to protect your neurons and cells. So all these, these things within our nutrition and more. What exercise we talked about the benefits of a moment ago. Sunshine is antibacterial for the skin. Uh, pr- uh, promotes vitamin D that we talked about a moment ago. Stimulates your immune system and has anti-cancer fighting properties in proper doses. If you get too little sunshine, you'll have more risk for disease. If you, of course, if you overdo it, you can increase your risk of, of uh, disease either, uh, especially skin cancers. But sun dosing in the right amount actually reduces the risk of skin, skin cancer because it uh, has an anti-cancer property to it. Sleep. Now, all sleep is not equal. All sleep is not equal. Sleep in harmony with your biorhythms, which is your, with the sun wake of your environment in which you live, is very beneficial for the body. You throw your sleep out of harmony with your biorhythms, then you actually, you actually increase inflammation and you um, decrease resilience. So kids who stay up till 3 in the morning playing video games or watching movies and then sleep till noon will not get the same benefit from sleep as if you sleep from 10 at night till 7 in the morning. Same thing for third shift workers. Third shift workers... Many studies have been done to show if you are a third shift worker, you will die younger than if you're not a third shift worker. Everything else being equal, you will die younger because third shift working is is a stress on the body. It increases inflammation. If you get eight hours of sleep during the day, your body doesn't do as well because of the stress. <clears throat> what about group support? Would, would being a member of a group that you have confidants with, people you can talk to, that you're appreciated, that you're cared for. Does being a member of that group have any physical resilience for you? Yeah, actually, good science. And I've, I've put in the notes today um, a link to uh, the recent article of the Journal of American Medical Association, um, February 2011. So it's pretty, pretty recent. And they, uh, they've uh, evaluated several studies that show that people with uh, terminal cancer conditions that are involved in supportive groups survive longer than people without supportive groups with the same cancer. So just being involved in a supportive group network 
will give you physical resilience. And these studies were published in uh, JAMA, can, uh, the, the journal Cancer, the journal Lancet. So these are reputable, reputable studies. Do we find there's any scripture to support all the stuff I'm telling you? Yeah. Come unto me all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my uh, yoke is easy. My burden is light. Uh, if we have a relationship with God and Christ, we have a reduction of stress and worry. Um, how about Galatians 6 where it tells us to carry each other's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love. And we carry each other's burdens. We share each other's burdens. We, we give each other resilience. We promote life in doing this. A merry heart. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Absolutely. And we can actually document now with brain science that when you have a hot, positive attitude, when you uh, are hopeful, you actually calm the uh, fear circuits, reduce the entire inflammatory cascade, and you get better physical and mental health. So those are all physical things that we can do for physical resilience. Some general factors that can be helpful. Interuterine life, if you're a mom or about to be a mom and going to be pregnant, um, if you're uh, the healthier you are, then the healthier uh, your developing fetus will be. And if you're highly stressed and worried, then your stress hormones will cross the blood brain, uh, uh, the, excuse me, the placental barrier and alter the developing brain. So your child will be born with a fear circuitry in the brain, amygdala, that can't calm itself as well. So this child will be more anxious, more fear ridden, more worried through life and, and more prone to anxiety disorders just because you were highly stressed. Uh, and it may not be your fault. I mean, I know uh, uh, people that have had tragedies happen during pregnancy. Uh, a, a spouse gets killed in a car wreck during pregnancy. Uh, things like this can happen. You know, war breaks out in your community. I have a patient who uh, was from uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and seven of her family members were killed uh, in this situation. I mean, you can have stress. It's none of your fault, but, uh, but there's still consequence to that. There is, uh, there's a study in here, an animal study. I'll just skip, but it's, uh, it shows how, well, maybe I'll just mention it. Um, after birth, your, your, your early experiences will affect the developing brain. If you get nurturing, then you actually develop a brain that can calm itself and is less anxious and less worried. If you're abandoned, not nurtured, not cared for, then the fear circuits of the brain upregulate and you're more anxious and fearful throughout pretty much the rest of your life. So your brain physical structure will be less resilient if you don't get a healthy inner uterine environment and if you don't get a healthy nurturing as an early child. Yes? Women, um, did they need more because they seem to hang out with, you know, hang out with my girlfriends or hang out to go out with this, and and the guys seem to tend to do that once in a while. Where women, it's more of a, they seem to do that more. Is that part of women more resilience, or is the correlation there? Do you study studies on that? Well, it's interesting you ask that because women do are, are more relational oriented, and I think what you're asking about is the difference is women seek relationships more than men do, but women are actually more vulnerable to most diseases and most illnesses, even though they live longer than men. So women have higher rates of depression. Uh, women have uh, higher rates of inflammatory illnesses, uh, autoimmune illnesses. Uh, the, you know, the differences would be in, in later in life, men have, um, seems to have more cardiovascular disease uh, up until menopause and after menopause, their differences fade away. So estrogens provide a, a protection effect for general physical illness on, on, the, on the inflammatory side, excuse me, on the vascular side for women. But that goes away after menopause. So um, the general networking and support would be a resilient factor for anybody. And since women are more relation-oriented, that would give them some protection there. Yeah. Um, what about mental resilience? What would decrease mental resilience? Your, your ability to handle mental stress, mental problems, adversities in life. What undermines your ability to do that? 
same things that undermine physical rules. Okay, all the physical things. All the physical things, sure. Okay. First, and first, number one, one of the great is physical illness. If you're physically ill, if you're sick, your brain can't work as well. How many of you want to take an exam with a fever of 104 degrees? You can't think as clearly when we're sick. So physical illness. And this is why the primary reason we're told to maintain the spirit temple and be healthy in our physical body because it makes the brain work better. And so first thing to do is maintain health for the purpose of the brain. What about guilt? Can you think clearly if you're guilt-ridden? Do you, have, do you think you have as good physical and mental health if you're guilt-ridden? You don't. How about grudge-holding, resentment, anger? If you hold on to these things, do you have as much resilience to handle life's pressures? No, it drains you. Activates the amygdala, activates the sympathetic nervous system, inflammatory cascade. Lots of negative things happen if you hold on to these. What about chronic worry? Chronic worry. Self-centered orientation in life so that you walk into a room and the first person you think about is, what are they thinking about me? Will they like me? Will they laugh at me? Well, I hope, I, hope, I hope these clothes are okay. I hope they don't think I'm wearing the wrong thing. Oh, is my hair okay? Will somebody say anything about my hair? I mean, the whole world is self-reference. So you see the whole world through this. And it can be this insecure way or, okay, everyone, I've arrived. <laughs> you know, it can be that self-referenced as well. But either way, it's the same thing. You've got the same problem. And if that's the way it is, then you're going to have less resilience to handle uh, problems. What a, yes? What about working uh, for a lifetime in a profession that uses the wrong side of your brain? It's very draining. Right versus left. I mean, you know, artistic versus account for you. So she's suggesting if you actually are, are gifted in, a, in, an, in an area, say you're very artistic uh, and very musical and very artistic, and you've, uh, for the family's sake, taken over the family accounting business. You see how that would be torture. This goes back, though, really to the issue of exercise. And that is, you're doing something you don't enjoy. And because you don't enjoy it, it's torture to you. Because it's torture, it's a stress, and it's a misery. So uh, I think that would be really in harmony with what you're saying. This is why I tell people, you know, find a career that you enjoy. Find a career you enjoy, yeah. A little further with that, uh, years ago, kids who wrote, tried to write with their left hand, they'd make them write with their right hand. That probably creates problems. That still happens. Still happens. Yeah. Yeah. What is the? I, I could have gone. I'm going to resist the diversion. Okay. <laughs> television watching, theatrical television watching. Does it have any effect on mental resilience? It absolutely does. It undermines mental resilience. You're less capable of handling stress if you watch a lot of TV because your tell that you, your body cannot tell the difference between the stress of a, a theatrical experience or a real experience. The neurobiologic consequences are similar. I don't know if anybody here does watch movies, and if anybody here saw movies called Saving Private Ryan, based on a true story from World War II, in which um, they went to get this one soldier who was in Europe after Normandy, after the beach landing, because I think four of his brothers were killed simultaneously in the Pacific, and he was the last surviving member of a sibship of five brothers who were in the military. So they went to get him and bring him home because there was this kind of policy that you don't take all the children from one family um, and have them all die if they get down. So anyway, so this in this movie, they very graphically pr- pr- um, portrayed the Normandy Beach landing in the very opening scene. Did anybody actually see that? Now, if we if you were watching that scene and we had heart rate and blood pressure monitoring on you, during that scene, what do you think we'd find? Was your heart rate up? Yes. Was your blood pressure up? Yes. Did you lose your appetite and have to put your popcorn down? 
because your stomach started to get queasy and stressed, okay? You were paying a price. There was a neurobiologic price going on here. You're activating your amygdala, your heart rate, blood pressure going up. This is taking resilience away from you. You're using neurobiologic energy in this vicarious experience that you won't have now later in the day for real life experiences. Yes? Uh, there's a lot of documented stories of World War II veterans that actually watched the movie and had to leave because it was so realistic that they were going back into their experiences again. Yeah, exactly. So when we watch these things, there's, it does reduce resilience. How about video gaming? Especially, um, especially the, the um, online community um, virtual world video gaming. Huh? How about those gaming? Is, is that, does that enhance resilience or undermine resilience? Well, again, you have so much psychic energy to use. We all have so much to use each day. If you use it in a virtual world to negotiate, to, to plan, to build, to, to experiment, whatever it is you're doing, if you're using it in a virtual world, you can get virtual, you can get neurological reward and elation and success and high-fiving and all this kind of stuff like you've really achieved something in the real world, but you haven't actually achieved anything in the real world. You've just used all your energy to do it in a virtual world, and then once you're done, you feel either exhausted or like you've accomplished something, like things are okay, and then you can just chill out at home, and, and you actually don't go out and do anything in the real world because you're using your neural energy in a virtual world. And I've seen this in many of, many of my clients who haven't done anything. They're 20, 26, 28, 30 years of age. They're, they're, they're intelligent. They've got abilities. What's going on? Well, they're playing virtual games till 3 and 4 in the morning, living with mom and dad, sleeping till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock in the day, and, and, they're, and they're not engaging in the real world. Why? Because they're diverting their, their real energies away from real living into a virtual living. Yeah. But I'm talking about this, uh, these virtual games like World of Warcraft and, and uh, those types of things. Yeah. And one more about undermining mental resilience. That's believing false God concepts. If you believe lies about God, at first we have scripture that tells us, if you believe lies about God, your mind becomes futile, depraved, and darkened. Romans chapter 1. Uh, if we believe false God concepts, what happens to our sense of peace and well-being? If you believe that God is following you around to punish you, if you make a mistake, do you have peace or do you have anxiety and stress and worry? Yeah. If you believe that uh, God is, uh, is only being held back by his son, but one day the intercessor will remove and we will have to live on earth without an intercessor to protect us from the Father, uh, does that give you greater peace? Or more stress. If you believe these distorted ideas, it has a negative consequence on mental wellness. What promotes mental resilience? Obviously, better physical health, good uh, regular um, sleep in harmony with your biorhythms, physical fitness and exercise. Um, how about a family member confidant? Somebody in your family that you can confide in, especially for teens and kids growing up. And studies show that if there's a family member confidant, it re re reduces a psychological and mental health problems in adolescents growing up across the board. Uh, females uh, uh, who had a family member confidant uh, had a higher self-esteem, reduced risk of major mental illnesses, lower suicidal thoughts, less depression, less drug use problems, and overall performed better in school. Males with advice-giving and confident family members had better school performance, lower dropout rates, less depression, and less emotional problems. 
And then family cohesion, a family where there's a sense of we support and love each other in our family, and my family's for me, and I know my family's for me. Uh, if, if that happens in a family, then the kids in those families, adolescents, they um, receive more community honors, they rescue, uh, receive higher grades and honors at school, have reduced uh, problems at school, reduced mental health problems, um, and um, for women particularly have less mental disorders. Is there a scripture that supports any of this idea? Honor your mother and father. That. Well, wait a minute. What's this relationship between healthy relationships with mom and dad and living long on earth? Is this we have a powerful, potent God who said, okay, I've decided that if you honor your mom and dad, I will use divine power from heaven to give you longer life. And if you dishonor mom and dad, don't have a good relationship with them, I will use my power from heaven to make you die young. Is that what's going on? No. Where do we learn primary relationships? Where do we learn how to relate to people? Primary. And a primary means the first place we learn it. Where do we, where's the first place we learn how to relate? With our parents. And if we have dysfunctional relationship there, then we have higher stress, higher anxiety in childhood, altering brain development, so we're more likely to be anxious and stressed as adults with that inflammatory cascade. But not only that, we take that learned relationship and we go out and we re-relate re- re- to others like that and we have these very dysfunctional relationships through life which keeps the stress going. And so the high stress relates to the high inflammation, more heart disease, more metabolic problems, and we die at a younger age. If we have a healthy relationship with our parents, we're much more likely, first off, to have a healthier brain development. Second, to have healthier relationships through life with less stress, less anxiety, which less inflammation, and we live longer. I mean, this is, a, this is not God using his power to make it happen this way. He's telling us, look, guys, I've designed the universe to run in a certain way. If we run in harmony with the way I've designed things, which is the life of love, then there's, there's health and there's life. If you break this, this, this circle of love, then there's, there's dysfunction and death. It's very, very, very straightforward. And knowing truth about God, does does knowing the truth about God make a difference in your life? Has anyone in here experienced a greater sense of peace personally as their perspective of God has changed? Yes. I I know I have, absolutely. My sense of well-being, my peace, my worry, all down as I've come to see God more clearly. Yeah. And that actually reduces amygdala firing, reduces activation of the inflammatory cascade, uh, brings us a greater sense of well-being. How about trusting God with outcomes? And one of the things I see in my patient population that stresses them the most is that they spend their energies calculating what choice they can make, what they can do to make life turn out the way they want it to turn out. Not just for them, but for their kids, for their employers, for the economy at large. I mean, they're, they're thinking, what can I do to make everything turn out the way I want? Do you realize how much stress that is? We can't control outcomes. What we can control is governance of ourself in real time. I can choose to do what I know is right and reasonable and healthy for myself because it is so, and I'm going to trust God with how it turns out. I can't control it turns out. And, and this is where the devil plays on us. He plays on us to try to be prognosticators and fortune tellers. He does. So you get, a, you get a call, the Lord has asked you to do, uh, you get an invitation to go, and I'll just give you an example from my life, I get invitations to go speak all the time. Invitations to go speak. And then, when I go speak, I volunteer. I don't get paid for my speaking when I travel and speak. And so I, I work for myself, so if I'm not working, I don't get paid. And we look at our finances, we look at the income, we go, oh boy, and the devil's there to go, you better not go do that, because you might not have money to pay your bills. 
And I just say, Lord, you've opened the door. I'm going to go speak. You'll provide. And so far, so far he's always provided. (laughs) My responsibility is to go speak, not speak. Be reasonable. Don't be foolish with my money. But uh, trust him that things will turn out. And so far they turn out. So this is a place where I can try to look down the road and prognosticate and see all these different things. Um, Yes, Wendell. You mentioned the fifth commandment. But essentially if you go through almost all of the commandments sequentially, all of them lead to peace, less stress, and a right relationship and healthy living. Absolutely. And this is what God was doing. He was giving us both a diagnostic tool and for the children who don't really understand how the universe runs, a set of guidelines that if you do it, you'll have better peace. It's like mom and dad. If you brush your teeth, you don't have to understand why. But if you do it, you'll still get the benefit. Now, if you grow up and understand why, it's just an easy thing to do. Yes. Most sins are based on lack of trust in God, for example, and and believing that we know what the future is. For example, a person lies because he believes that if he doesn't lie, something will happen in the future. So if we really trust the future to God, we can always do the right thing because we don't really know what's going to happen in the future. I love to have a connection with, with worrying about how we, we become, really become fortune tellers, don't we? Or we project an imaginary future of what might happen because we don't really trust him with the future. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can they control the future? They can control their choice. How it turns out, it's not up to them. So we, we, we can never have those false dilemmas. We must always do what's right because we don't know what the future is. Exactly. Exactly. So let's turn to our lesson now, finally, um, Sabbath lesson. <laughs> and we're going to do our, uh, our memory verse. And notice the memory verse, Psalms 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and, mount, uh, and, foam and the mountains quake with their, with their surging. What do you think it means? How do you understand it? When you hear it, do you get comfort and peace? Do you believe it? So if you were a faithful Jew, reading your Psalms in 1939 Germany, claiming that God will be your refuge and strength on your way to the gas chamber, what happened? An ever-present help in trouble. If you believe that that means you'll never go through tribulation, you're going to be sadly disappointed. That's what I'm asking. What do you think this means? How do we, when you hear this text, do you believe it like, hey, if I claim this promise, I won't have problems. He's my ever-present help in trouble. If you study some of the uh, things about the reformers, you'll find that they had a peace even to the stake. That's right. That's right. Other, other comments. He doesn't promise to save us in the, uh, from the fiery furnace. He promises to be with us in the fiery furnace. I like that, yeah. The promise is we will not fear. The promise is we will not fear. Yeah, not that we'll be delivered. Of course, what did Christ actually say in Matthew 24? Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. So if, if Christ is telling us that this, this, this psalm is not a psalm that we will be protected from trial, tribulation, persecution, and even martyrdom. It's a psalm that in those situations we don't have to fear. The question is, why do we not have to fear? Yes. Because we can understand 
the goodness of God and know that this world is not the end of the road. There is something beyond this. So we might have we might be killed or go through some kind of a horrible thing here, but the next thing we know will be the coming of Jesus. You know, Can you all hear her? Okay, she said, uh, because we know that this is not the end of the road. That the next thing, we, we may go through horrible times, even death, but the next thing we'll see is the coming of Jesus. Yes? If you have a legal concept of God, then you're running around trying to keep him happy. So, And then you say, okay, this is what he's telling me. Then when you get into trouble, you think, I'm not doing good enough. So that's why understanding the character of God and his love and the basics that we've been learning is, is so critical. Uh, and I like where you, yes, back here. Um, many of the martyrs even were singing when they when they died, and so I think the Lord takes away the pain sometimes. Or how would they be able to sing? Yes, yes. And what does the scripture say? Perfect love casts out all fear. fear. The more fear we have, the more we turn to self. Think about when you're afraid, you become very self-referenced. What's going to happen to me? How am I going to pay these bills? What do I need to protect myself? It's all about protecting self. The more love we have, who we think about other people and the less fear we have. And so we see this, this, this war going on in our hearts and minds between fear and love. And so what is the promise in the Psalms is again, that therefore we will not fear. We will love. And, and why are we able to do this? I think it has to do because we're not afraid of what we're not afraid of what happens to us. And we're not afraid of what happens. We have given our lives over. My life is in your hand. It's not about me anymore. It's about something bigger than me. Now, you've seen this even on non-spiritual levels. You've seen in military and soldiers in war times where a soldier will do heroic acts of self-sacrifice because they've come to care about their comrades uh, more than they've come to care about themselves. And this is, in fact, as a, as a military psychiatrist, I, I ask people, why, what is it that motivates a soldier to get up out of a foxhole in combat? It's not patriotism. It's not the political rightness of the cause. It's love. Love is what causes a war to be prosecuted successfully. And this is why when they train soldiers, they train them in groups, and they don't call it love, they call it cohesion. Unit cohesion. Bringing them together where they have bonds of brotherhood. Band of brothers, if you've heard the, heard the, the movie, Band of Brothers, where they have bonds of brotherhood, where they care, love, brotherly love for the people. They, they, and, when, and when one of them is in danger, they're all going to go in danger to protect them. This is how wars are prosecuted. If you don't have that camaraderie, if you don't have that brotherly love, it's every man for themselves, then as soon as danger comes, you saw what happened in, in our, our, our desert storm in Iraq, they didn't have that. It's just completely, everybody's running for themselves. And so, um, in our spiritual warfare, when we have a larger perspective, when we see things from an eternal reality, then we remember what Christ said in Matthew chapter 10, 28. Don't be afraid of the one who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who kills both soul and body in hell. Who's that one? We are. Yeah, what's the traditional answer? God. Yeah, and it's so twisted. So twisted. No, the one who destroys your soul is you. Yes, Wendell. In Luke um, 21, that's the end of the, the book where Christ goes into all the bad things that are going to happen, the destruction of Jerusalem, the, the, the terrible things that are going to happen before his coming and whatnot. And then um, at the conclusion of that, in Luke 21, um, 28, it says, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up 
and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That's not a cowering of a fear. That is a confidence in who is with us in spite of all this stuff that's going on. And isn't that a demonstration of resilience? As pressures are mounting, we're rising up because we understand what's happening. Think, of, And I've got this analogy in the, in the lesson later, but this is where perspective comes in. Because in another place, he gives us a similar description. He says, these are the beginning of the birth pains. Imagine you're pregnant. Some of us can imagine that easier than others. <laughs> but you don't know you're pregnant. You are pregnant, but you don't know it. You're just a little bit plump. Not much, though, she says, no. And now you've gone into labor. Now, actually, this is actually, there's some true counts that this has happened where women have gone into labor, presented to the ER, complaining of terrible abdominal cramping, and had no idea they were pregnant. Okay? Most OBGYNs treat about four people like that a year. Yeah, four people like that a year. So, so, So imagine you're pregnant, you go into labor, and you don't know you're pregnant. Do you think that it could be terrifying and frightening? Now, you know you're pregnant and you go into labor. You get the same pain, but does your knowledge of what's happening make a difference in your capacities to deal with that pain? And in fact, when the labor pains come, is it, oh, dread, oh, no? Or even though you know it's going to hurt, there's a sense of joy and anticipation because your child's about to be born. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. So Jesus is saying, if you have perspective, if you understand what's happening in the world, when you see these painful things happening, don't get discouraged. Lift up your head. It's going to be painful. But guess what? Delivery is coming. And we're going to be face to face with our Lord soon. It's an exciting time. Yeah. This is such a perfect example because in early labor, you do remember that you're having a baby, but later on you forget it. And And you want to kill that man, don't you? (laughs) Get over here, I want to strangle you. Yes. That is a perfect example of us emotionally when we're going through severe trial. It's very hard to remember why, you know, what's going to happen and and how the end is going to be. It's very hard to focus on that. Yeah, yeah. They call that transition? (laughs) Isn't that right? Yeah, it's a stage transition when you want to kill your spouse. <laughs> yeah. The story of Stephen and his martyrdom just highlights this whole train conversation. He was, he was somewhere else. He saw the throne. He saw the glory of God. He was not worried about his earthly body. Yeah, did you hear what he said, everybody, about Stephen when he's being stoned? And not only did he say, Father, don't lay this to their account, but it says his face was radiating like that of an angel. And uh, Moses, of course, coming down off the mountain, had this radiating glory. And do you know that you and I are, are supposed to experience that same thing? That before Christ comes, those on earth who are unified with him, their faces are supposed to start radiating that same glory. Did you know that? Isn't that cool? Yeah, as we come to know him. There's a, now, I think we can get some faint little glimmers just from the expression that people have as they come. You've seen it. It's not really the, the physical brightness yet, but you can see the joy and the, and the peace and the love and, and the expression of people as they've come to have Christ in the heart. Haven't you seen it? I think it's much, much brighter than that as we get closer and closer to him. Monday's lesson. It talks about rejoicing and suffering because suffering brings patience or perseverance and that helps develop character. Um, any thoughts on, on that? Any thoughts on that? Suffering, developing character. Yeah. 
in the back. My thought has always been, and I know the Bible says that through tribulation we build patience, but my thought has always been trial reveals character even more than it builds it. Um, and it's the little things, it's the daily aggravations, it's the daily challenges that you use so that you can withstand, quote, the big one. When your daughter comes home and says, hey, mom, guess what? I'm 15 and I'm pregnant. Or your husband says, you know, I found someone else. We would all like to think that we can rise up to those huge occasions. But if we haven't practiced beforehand, we may not. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nicely said. Yes, Russell? Well, doesn't Hebrews say that well, once Christ developed a perfect character through suffering, then he became salvation for all? Yeah, th- th- this is the point. I think you're both right. There's no question um, that trials do reveal our character, but we don't um, overcome the weaknesses in our character without suffering. It is through choosing to go against our natural inclinations, what Paul calls crucifying the self. And when we crucify self, self suffers. If you're a smoker and you decide to quit, there's a transition period where you go through suffering, where you're, where you're craving and, you're, and it's not fun. If you have any unhealthy habit pattern of any kind, to be free of it, there's a period of suffering that you go through to get free of it. Um, so I think there's an aspect where that, that suffering brings character, but there's another aspect where the, in, in, in trials, we reveal our character as well. Yes. I'm just thinking back to when I was younger and I work with young people. And I think sometimes when we read Paul, we think, okay, if I become a Christian, I'll suffer more than other people. But actually, if you don't become a Christian, you're probably going to, you're going to suffer anyway. There's no way to get through this world without suffering. Yes. And so you can't avoid suffering by not being a Christian. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. Yes. And if you're a Christian and have Christ in the heart. Someone who's with you when you're suffering. You don't have to be miserable. You don't have to be miserable in your suffering. Yes. All right, let's go on to a lesson. It says 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. It says, Praise be to God, the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Question, how does God comfort us? And I want to be specific. I don't want the amorphous, well, I get a warm feeling that starts in my toes and works up. I mean, that's true. We can sometimes get that presence and it gives us comfort. But is there specifics to how God comforts? Yes. He sends the Spirit to be with us. He also sends other people to be with us. Okay. Other people like Job's three friends that came to comfort. (laughs) Oh, wait. Maybe not. Okay. Alrighty. Well, here's, here's the desire. We're low on time. So desire of ages, 671, the spirit you mentioned. The comforter, which is the spirit, is called the spirit of truth. He seeks to define and maintain the truth. He first dwells in the heart as the spirit of truth and thus becomes the comforter. There is comfort and peace in the truth, but no real peace or comfort can be found in falsehood. It is through false theories and traditions that Satan gains his power over the mind. By directing men to false standards, he misshapes the character. Through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to the mind and presses truth upon the heart. Thus, he exposes error and expels it from the soul. It is by the spirit of truth, working through the word of God, that Christ subdues his chosen people to himself. Now, do you all believe that there's comfort in truth? Any examples you'd care to share? How have you been comforted by truth? Ever known someone who was struggling with a medical illness? Unknown medical illness. And they finally get the diagnosis. 
Every person that I've had in my practice that finally got the diagnosis, even if the diagnosis was terminal, had peace to know what's wrong, that truth. Haven't you seen it? Yeah, there's a hand over here. Uh, One thing that has really helped me is when I realize that the suffering that I'm going through on this earth is not the will of God, mm-hmm. but that he is, he is, has good plans for me, and he's not causing these things to happen to me, but rather he's for me, not against me. Ah, so the truth about God for you, not causing this. Yeah, that's, that's great comfort, isn't it, to know? Um, how about, I have patients who have made mistakes, as we all have, and are running from guilt and shame. Can they ever have peace until they stop and deal with the truth? Will they ever have peace? No. And this is what I, do. I talk about in my practice. I talk to my patients. Look, you, you've got this going on. You've got that going on. If you really want to get well, you've got to stop running. You've got to embrace the truth. The truth is you made this mistake. But you know what? Through God's grace, you can have a change of heart. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to run from it. You can't change history. History can't change. But you can change. There's, very, there's peace in that. See, people run. Why do you think people run from their mistakes? What's the motive that people run for? What causes them to run? It's fear. Adam and Eve ran because they were afraid. What were they afraid of? Now, was there objective cause to fear God? God was their friend. He was for them. There's no reason to fear him. So, but what did they fear? Yeah, they feared that they wouldn't be accepted. They feared that they wouldn't be loved. They feared that they would be punished. They feared that they would be rejected. So think about in your life when you've run from some mistake, you fear the consequences. You fear you won't be liked. You won't be loved. People will lose respect for you. You'll lose your position. You'll lose your job. You'll lose your, 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 you know. And this is why, of course, we have such good confidence and trust coming to church and talking about our mistakes, right? <laughs> Because Paul tells us in the scriptures to confess our sins one to another. We know it's very, very, it's safe to do that here because you would never be ostracized in a church, would you? It's sad. Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad you can go to Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and talk about your worst stuff and get support, accept, and love, but at church you'll get stoned? There's something twisted about that. Seriously twisted, folks. And what is it? I'm going to suggest it goes back to the God concept we hold. If you have a judicial God, then in order to model him, we must, be ju- we must be just in our dealings. We must judge rightly. Don't you know that you will judge angels? We must sit in judgment. And so we judge people in the church. Rather than we see God as the great healer, the great physician, recognize we're all suffering from the same sickness, and somebody comes to us and have been struggling with this problem, we want to reach out in love to bring them to Christ for healing. We should be in a healing ministry. Healing hearts, minds, and souls. Yes. So what if I am raised to believe that it's God who's bringing all these horrible things, you know, putting my face in the mud, so to speak, so that I will finally turn to him? That doesn't give me peace. Exactly. These lies, this is the whole point. We are in a war. In the war we fight, 2 Corinthians 10, we battle against everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we are in a war, and it centers on the truth about God. And our mission, and God is waiting for a people who know the truth and can discern the issues so clearly that we can go out and we can help free minds from all this distorted thinking that keeps them afraid of him. Because he's waiting to come so that when he comes, people won't be running away like Adam and Eve, but people will be running to him. Just imagine parents 
how sad it would be if your children ran away from you every time you came in the room. Wouldn't that be sad? And you could never get near them because they, they believe you're, you're coming to kill them. Wouldn't that be sad? I know a few of you sometimes have felt that way. <laughs> but it was never really true, was it? No. Never really true. Okay? Other thoughts? Going back to the first day of text, when you read Romans 5, 3-5, um, we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance in what? And then, and then perseverance, proven, proven character. Character of what? And then proven character, hope. Hope in what? And then hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's hope in God, perseverance in righteousness. It is confidence in God. The end result is all God. God and the, in us. And, the, and the, you read that the last verse, five, he pours his love. Right. into our hearts. So we get that transforming motive. God is love, so who's he pouring into our hearts? We are becoming like him. There, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all connected. See the connections. Um, he pours his love into our hearts. God is love. Uh, unless you partake of me, eat my flesh, drink my blood. We become partakers of the divine nature. We get the mind of Christ. have the law written on the heart and mind. It's all the same. Selfishness and fear is being ex- excluded or, or pushed out, and love for God and others is being reproduced within. This is the whole transforming process. Yeah, exactly right. And sometimes the trials uh, give us opportunity to stop being so self-referenced and step back and go, wait a minute, maybe there's something more going on. Do you look at the, uh, the prodigal who was all self-referenced? I want my money, I want my inheritance, so I can go out and do my thing with my friends on my time. He went out and did that, and it was in the trials and tribulations of the pig pen eating the pig slop that he came to a sense of, wait, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the way. Maybe it's a better way. But those trials and tribulations were not put on by his dad. His dad didn't cause those. This is the way the universe runs. God has designed this universe to run on certain principles. In harmony, there's health. You step out of harmony, you bring these consequences to yourself. So just an example, as right on as as the, uh, the spiritual laws, you have a car designed by its manufacturer to run on certain fuel. You decide to put uh, diesel or kerosene in there instead of unleaded, you will break those the principles it's designed to run on, and it will break down. You will have trial, and you have tribulation. His trials and tribulations were all in his brain. He'd been living the good life, and yet he still had been living estranged from God. That's right, because he didn't... See, and this is the other great fallacy. He represents religions, and this is what Paul says, that uh, in the at last day, the love of many will wax cold. They will be lovers of themselves, brutish, and all these other things, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. This is religious people who, just like the older brother, uh, ha- see God as a... In a certain light, they know about God, but they don't know God. And the most dangerous things in the world are people on a mission for God who don't know him. So our goal is to come to actually know him as Christ revealed him, and then to go share that knowledge with other people, including many, many people in our own fellowship. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have sent Christ to do that for us we could not do for ourselves. Reveal the truth about you to destroy the lies, win us back to trust, and overcome that desire that's always nagging at us to watch out for self, that undercurrent of fear and insecurity that we always struggle against. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you, having been convinced by the evidence 
that you are completely trustworthy and you only want to heal and restore us. We ask for your Spirit's presence now to take all that Christ has achieved, reproduce in us this love for you and love for others, that we won't live searching to promote ourselves, but we will live for your kingdom to teach others about your love. We pray in your holy name. Amen.